guess it's uh, my responsibility to follow that act. So we will uh, continue as we've been going through the Gospel of Luke. Today we'll cover the part that uh, Pontius Pilate got to play in that story. So if you would turn to the Gospel of Luke in chapter 23. But before we read it, I had a little, uh, a few slides. And uh, the title for this message is, Do You Want to Know the Truth? Do you want to know the truth? I'm not asking you what the truth is. I'm asking, I'm asking you, do you want to know it? Do you want to know it? So there's a song that says, Tell me lies, tell me sweet little lies. I always wondered why do people want to be told lies? And uh, yet, I think the truth is there are things that we don't want to know the truth about. Can we uh, get the slides up? Working on them. Technical difficulties. So, uh, first question, I'm going to move a little bit so I can see the slides. That's okay. But the first question is, do you want to know the truth about what uh, Mr. Wood, what your hair looks like in the morning? Uh, that's pretty trivial. Now, when we think about it, do you want to know the truth? You want to think, well, what's the consequence of not knowing the truth? Well, in this case, the consequences are not too bad. You could not know what your hair looks like. Some of us don't have quite the same problem with this. <laughs> but uh, it gets more serious from here. How about the next slide? Do you want to know the truth about how much you weigh? I used to have... Uh, scale in my bathroom, and uh, I don't have it, or at least I don't tend to use it anymore, and uh, maybe it's because I don't want to know the truth. Well, what's the consequences about not knowing the truth about how much you weigh? Now, it could become a health issue at some point. You deny, deny that to yourself. All right, the next one. <clears throat> you want to know the truth about how much money you owe. You get your uh, credit card bill. You know, do you want to know? You go and you take a second loan on your house because you want to buy that nice speedboat. You really want to know the truth about how much money you owe. Just been through uh, a dip in the uh, real estate market, partly because of that issue. People didn't seem to really know or think about how much money it was that they were owing. There's consequences, right? It gets more serious. Next slide. You want to know the truth about your medical condition. You want to know the truth about your medical condition. That's a picture of a tumor in somebody's brain. If you go to the next slide, it's something that hits a little closer to home for me. I was uh, teaching a Bible study in Berkeley, and uh, my friends told me, Noah, there's something wrong with your hearing. And I said, what? <laughs> <laughs> they said it because I kept asking what more and more during the study. I had a hard time hearing people. And uh, <clears throat> I ignored that question for a while. And then I found out, you know, as time progressed, that I had a real issue. I had something called a cholesteatoma, which you may be able to see if you're familiar with that schematic. It's basically a growth that grows out of your eardrum. And it starts consuming your inner 
healing mechanism. And if left unchecked, it will actually kill you in a very painful way. Now, people have learned to recognize it over the years, so it's not too often that people die from this condition. But the longer you wait, the worse the problem becomes. There's consequences for not knowing the truth. And the last slide, do you want to know the truth about who Jesus is? And the reason for that question is, uh, we'll see, that's, that's the problem that uh, Pilate had. And we'll think a little bit about the consequences. Do you want to know the truth about who Jesus is? With that, uh, we'll start Luke 23. We're not going to read through the whole passage. It's quite lengthy. We'll, <coughs> Lord willing, we will read it if we have time. It looks like we have no limit to time, so I'm doing quite well here. Um, but we'll just start with the first four verses. <clears throat> Luke chapter 23, verse 1. Then the whole multitude of them arose and led him, or Jesus, to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that Christ, that he himself is Christ, a king. So Pilate asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And he, or Jesus, answered him and said, It is as you say. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no fault in this man. So first of all, we have here what I would call a divine appointment. Pilate is not looking for Jesus but in a strange way, Jesus is looking for him. Obviously, it's not Jesus that's leading him. It is the uh, religious leaders of Jesus' day who are bringing Jesus to Pilate. But it's not Pilate that's looking for him. Pilate happens to have a position in the Roman Empire that requires him to deal with the question of Jesus. Jesus is uh, being accused here of being a threat or perhaps a traitor to the Roman Empire. And Pilate is the prefect or the ruler over the Roman province in which Jesus is. And so that case has to come before Pilate, and that gives Pilate an opportunity to be faced with the question of who Jesus is. And I know that because often God will use different things in our lives. The Bible tells us that none of us seeks after God. He is the one who has to come seeking after us. And he brings situation across us that uh, cause us to have to be faced with the question of who Jesus is. So the first question I had is, why uh, is Jesus being brought before Pilate here? And uh, the answer to that question is the religious leaders are afraid. They believe that Jesus needs to be put to death. But... They're afraid of what will happen to them when the people see them as responsible for the death of Jesus. And to avoid that responsibility, they're bringing him to Pilate. And they're hoping Pilate will sign the death warrant, and then they can always point to Pilate and say, this is the man that's respons responsible, don't come after us. Now, it doesn't work completely. Obviously, they're guilty, and obviously the people recognize that. But that's the main reason he is being brought before Pilate. Uh, there is an excuse that they bring in the Gospel of John 
the saying that uh, we don't have the authority to put him to death. But the truth is they do put other people to death in similar circumstances. If you think of Stephen, Stephen uh, is uh, brought to a trial before them. They decide that he is worthy of death. They take him out and they stone him. So they certainly have the ability of, of putting Jesus to death if they want to, but they're afraid, and so they bring him to Pilate for the single reason of signing the death warrant for Jesus. And so Pilate is faced with that question. Now, what's the accusation that they bring against him? I mentioned that it is being accused of treason against the Roman Empire. You could break it in verses 2 into uh, three accusations. First, they're saying, we found this fellow perverting the nation, which in their mind is what uh, Jesus is doing when he is telling the people that they need to listen to him. Uh, we find him forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, which we know is false. Right? They even tried to trick Jesus into saying, into forbidding to pay taxes. They tried to, to get Jesus to forbid people from paying taxes to Caesar, and Jesus gave the famous line, render to Caesar that which is Caesar, and to Christ the things that are Christ. And so this is completely false, but it's part of the ammunition against Jesus, just a direct lie, uh, accusing him of forbidding to pay taxes. And finally, saying that claiming to be Christ a king, is that true? Did Jesus claim to be Christ a king? And uh, the answer for that is yes. He didn't go around preaching that. In fact, he told his disciples after teaching them that he was the Messiah, told, he told them not to tell anybody else, but he certainly claimed to be the king. And um, there's a number of things we, we do want to get straight from the beginning, and that is the fact, the fact that Jesus is a king. In fact, he is the king. First uh, Timothy 6, starting in verse 13, says, I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus, who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless, until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing, which he will manifest in his own time. He, or Jesus, who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Is Jesus a king? Yes. In fact, this says he is the only king. And uh, if there are such as kings, they ought to be reporting to him, and therefore he should be the king of kings. And therefore, if there is a question of treason, who are the ones who are committing treason? Well, it is the religious leaders, it is Pontius Pilate, and it is you and me to the extent that we don't bow the knee to Jesus. So Jesus is brought to Pilate accused of it, but really it's us that the finger has to be pointed on or at. Um, second, as we will look here at this trial and the things that Jesus says, we need to not misunderstand what Jesus is doing. He's not trying to avoid the cross. If Jesus wanted to avoid the cross, he said, do you not know that I can ask my father for 12 legions of angels and he will give them to me? If he wanted to, he could have 60,000 angels on his side, which were you know, more power than anything on earth could have faced. So Jesus was not trying to avoid the cross for what he says here. The purpose for this account in the gospel is much more putting 
on trial the people who are dealing with Jesus. We get to see the religious authorities and the secular authorities of this world condemning Christ. And really the condemnation then becomes ours. We are the ones who are guilty of murdering the perfect and holy Son of God. So it is really them and us through them that are on trial here, not him, except to the point that this reveals who Jesus is. And that's what we want to get in this account, is get a better glimpse of who Jesus is and have a better understanding of what God is saying about human nature in this passage. Okay, so we're done with the accusation. We understand uh, Pilate's role in it. His job is to sign the death warrant of, against Christ. Well, Pilate does a sensible thing. He starts by asking Jesus. We have in verse 3, Are you the king of the Jews? And we have here Jesus saying to him, It is as you say, which is another way of saying yes. It is how you said yes to a question of great weight and import at that time. So Jesus is not lightly saying yes. He's saying yes in a very, uh, in a very uh, weighty manner when he, said, when he says, it is as you say. And then we have here Pilate saying to the chief priest in the crowd, I find no fault in this man. And if you're like me, you'd say, boy, that seemed like a quick resolution to this, uh, you know, investigation. And, uh, and it is because we're missing something that happened in between. So let's turn to the Gospel of John. You'll want to turn to the Gospel of John in chapter 18. And we have a few verses that describe the actual encounter between Pilate and Jesus. They contain the same words, but they also have quite a bit more in them. So if you would turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 18, and we'll start in verse 33. It says, Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight, so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no fault in him. So we start with the same words here that we had in Luke. Pilate is asking, are you the king of the Jews? And now we see something else here in Jesus' response. He's saying, are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? Which to be interpreted means, 
Do you really want to know the truth? Or are you just, you know, going through the motion of this trial? You're doing it because others told you this about me. And Pilate's response is, why should I care about the truth? And he says it in this way, am I a Jew? And one of the reasons he can use this to disengage with the question is he's given Jesus the title of the king of the Jews. If you would note, the religious leaders didn't do that. They said he claims to be Christ, a king. And they knew that Christ was not the king of the Jews. Christ was the king of the world. But in his mind, he thinks the accusation is that Jesus is trying to claim to be the king of Judah or Israel and is trying to take that part of Rome away. So he's put his own title on Jesus being just the king of the Jews. And because of that, when Jesus says, do you really want to know, he's disengaging. It says, it doesn't matter to me. I'm not a Jew. Your title, your claim has no relevance to me. Why should I be concerned about it? It's funny how things turn throughout history. Uh, I was a student in Berkeley, and I was walking around, and I saw someone scribbled on the sidewalk, Jews for Jesus. And I was like, boy, that's an oxymoron if I ever heard one. <laughs> because I've been taught as a Jew that Jesus is not for the Jews. He's for the Gentiles. I've been disengaged. I was told, don't listen to what people say about Jesus because it's not for you. And in a similar way, uh, people today in various backgrounds are told the same thing. You don't need to listen to the claims of Jesus. They don't apply to you. And that's false. It's an excuse we use to disengage with the question of who Jesus is. The truth is, the question of who Jesus is applies to you, and it applies to me. A second reason, uh, excuse that Pilate is saying of why he shouldn't be concerned, he says, your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? He's saying there, look, the very people who should be following you are not following you. Why should I be concerned of your claim to being king? And that's the other reason people today will often uh, excuse their lack of interest in Christ. They'll point to Christians. These are people who claim to be followers of Jesus, but look at their lives. They're not following Jesus with their lives, and so I need not concern myself with the question of who Jesus is. Again, a false argument, and yet another excuse people bring of why they don't want to consider who Jesus is. Of course, very convicting to me as a Christian, I ought to live a life that leaves people no excuse to disengage with the question of who Jesus is. But all the same, this still is not an excuse that God accepts. You still need to answer for yourself the question of who Jesus is. So now Jesus answers him, and he says, my kingdom is not of this world, and he explains, or gives the evidence, if his kingdom was of this world, you would see the followers of Jesus fighting and trying to free him from the hand of the Jews, if he was concerned with this world. <clears throat> then he emphasizes, now my kingdom is not from here, because it is a question of time. Jesus' kingdom applies to this world as well. Okay? There will be a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and he will rule the nations with a rod of iron. The time is coming when Jesus will rule this world. But at that particular time, 
that wasn't the case. And so Jesus could say, now my kingdom is not of this world. Why is he telling Pilate this? There's two reasons I can think of. Uh, one is he's helping Pilate see the truth of the case he has to judge. Pilate is a judge in a civil government, and God has a respect to that position. What Pilate is doing is important. We need judges that will judge righteously in our country, and that prevents people from doing to one another what they want to do. The fear of the law restrains the evil of man. And so Pilate has an important job, and Jesus has a respect to it, and so he's helping him do his job by helping him see the situation. Well, yes, Jesus claims to be king, but his kingdom now is not of this world. He is not doing anything against the Roman Empire. There is no reason why Jesus should be crucified. Again, Jesus is not trying to get uh, out of the way of the cross. Jesus knows what's going to happen to him. He's settled it in the prayer in the garden, and he's walking toward the cross. All the same, he's helping Pilate have a just understanding of what's happening because Pilate is going to be responsible for what he does here. And the right thing to do will be to say that Jesus is not guilty and to uh, refuse to sign a warrant to Jesus' death. That would be the right and just thing for Pilate to do. And Jesus is helping him see that fact. The other reason Jesus is telling Pilate this is he's trying to open his eyes a little bit to the type of kingdom or the type of king that Jesus is. Jesus is not just the king of the Jews. He is the king that is beyond this world or outside of this world, meaning this entire world is encompassed in his kingdom. And really, all times are encompassed in his kingdom. That's the type of king he is. It's a question of great import because Pilate himself needs to submit to Jesus as king. And Jesus is trying to open here a little bit his understanding of the type of king that Jesus is. <clears throat> okay, well, Pilate's response is, are you a king then? And I thought a little bit about this question. I'm not sure exactly why Pilate is asking, are you a king then? Jesus just says, my kingdom. So he is a king. Uh, it's possible that Pilate is looking for a confession. Because if you claim to be a king, you're against Caesar. And so it could be that Pilate just wants the confession so he could do what he wants to do, which would be to sign the warrant of death for Jesus. It could be. Or maybe he's really curious now and he wants to know more about the kind of king that Jesus is. Possible. Well, Jesus responds here, and uh, this is part of the verse we said uh, earlier. First of all, he says it is... Excuse me, let me uh, find the place. Uh, Jesus said, you say rightly that I am a king. He confesses it, as we saw he did in Luke. Uh, it also refers to the passage I read you in First Timothy, where it says that Jesus Christ witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate. That's what it's talking about. Jesus confessed to being king. And it's, if you look at the context of that verse, it's actually an encouragement to us because we sometimes don't confess that Jesus is king, or we don't confess the truth of God because we're concerned of the consequences for ourselves. Well, here the consequence for Jesus is going to be crucified as a result of this confession. And yet Jesus witnesses the good confession 
it is as you say. You say rightly that I am a king. Jesus is not afraid to confess the truth when he knows the consequences to himself. And the idea is, is to encourage us. We ought to be willing to speak the truth no matter what the consequences to ourselves is. If you think of it, really Jesus is doing it to a large extent for the sake of the heroes. We'll see it's the truth that they need. It is the truth that sets us free. It is the truth that saves us. Jesus is giving the words of life here to Pilate at the same time that he is signing his own death word, so to speak. He is thinking of Pilate. We need to think of those we are afraid of, that they, what we have to tell them about Jesus, even if it causes them to treat us ill, is really what they need to be saved. And so confessing, witnessing the good confession. Okay, <clears throat> and now uh, to the meat of what Jesus says. He follows this up and says, For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is, who is of the truth hears my voice. He is now backing everything he said about himself being king with the strongest way. The very purpose I have come into this world is to reveal the truth, and the truth is that I am king, and you need to deal with it, Pilate. And by the way, everyone who is of the truth, everyone who loves the truth, everyone who wants to know the truth, hears my voice, Pilate. It's a challenge to Pilate to deal with the truth he just revealed to Pilate about himself being king. And Pilate answers with the famous line, what is truth? Which I think we do well to understand as I don't care what the truth is, or perhaps I don't know how it's possible to find what the truth is, and I'm not going to try. So he's disengaging from the question. Jesus challenged him with him being king. Jesus said, this is the truth. You need to seek the truth. And he says, what is truth? I can't seek it. I don't know what it is. I don't want it. I'm not interested. How does God feel about that attitude? Because that's what often people will say today. You'll go and you'll tell them about Jesus, and you'll go and you'll try to share with them the truth. And uh, I, I went online yesterday, and I thought, well, I'll type, what is the, you know, do you want to know the truth? What kind of response will I get? And I got, uh, on the top was a YouTube video of a lady who felt she had something to share with the world, and so she did this film of herself. And she basically talks for two minutes about how we can't know the truth. And we need to, uh, you know, be of open mind because what we think the truth is today is not going to be the truth tomorrow. That's what, that's what the world uh, believes or uses to disengage with the question of who is Jesus. Now, uh, God doesn't accept that. So if you would turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we'll see what God thinks about that attitude. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 9, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, 
because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So this describes uh, the end time and a period of time where God will send a delusion upon people so that they believe the lie, but he explains why God is doing it. And the first reason given is because they did not receive the love of the truth. They didn't want to know the truth about who Jesus is. And God considered that to be something worthy of condemnation, not wanting to know the truth, not loving the truth, not wanting to know what is the truth about Jesus. And he gives the reason for it in, the, in verse 12, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. The reason people do not want to know the truth about Jesus is they know they are doing something that Jesus would disapprove of. And if Jesus is king, that will have to change. And people don't want to change that, and because of it, they don't want to know the truth about Jesus. What do you think? Is that something God should condemn? Uh, we have this uh, phrase, sometimes we use, it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. And instead of going to the right authority and finding out if you can do what it is you want to do, you do it. And then later you say you're sorry. Is that right? God condemns it. God doesn't think we're justified to close our eyes as to who Jesus is because we want to do the stuff that we know Jesus would disapprove of. God condemns it. And in fact, the condemnation is allowing us to believe the lie we're telling ourselves and the lie that the devil is trying to tell us, that what we're doing is okay and we don't have to worry about the consequences. That is a lie. And yet, when we refuse, when God offers his truth, as he does in this case, and we say we're not interested in the truth, God's condemnation is letting us believe the lie that we choose to believe. What are the consequences? So we had these pictures here before about the consequences for not wanting to know the truth. And we talked about how sometimes that's pretty serious. You don't want to know the truth about why this part of your body is not working so well. Things will get worse over time, and you'll pay the consequences for choosing not to know the truth. What are the consequences for choosing not to know the truth about who Jesus is? Well, we have in John 14, chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The first consequence of not knowing the truth about Jesus is that you will not know the way. <clears throat> and Jesus explains what the way is. It is the way to come to the Father, the way to come to heaven. Jesus made a way for you to go to heaven. In fact, as he's talking to Pilate, he is working on that way. He is on his way to the cross where he will die for the sins of mankind. And that is the way that you have to go to God. Your sins must be paid for, and Jesus paid the price. So he is the way, 
And if you say, I don't want to know the truth about who Jesus is, you're blinding yourself to the way, and you'll never make it to heaven. Uh, second thing you're missing is you're missing the truth, which means you're left with a lie. Pilate was after political success. He's reached pretty high. He's uh, the person in charge of a province that probably has a few million people. And uh, maybe he had dreams to go even higher in the Roman Empire. Maybe there was even greater political success he was after. You may not uh, set your sight on a political goal. You may want a job, or you may want popularity, or there is something in your life that you are seeking after, and you think, this is it. This is what life is really about. If I can attain this, I will be happy. And that is a lie. Psalm 62.9 says, Surely men of low degree are a vapor. Men of high degree are a lie. If they are weighed on the scales, they are altogether lighter than vapor. The consequence will be when you reach the end of your life, and you die, and you will be faced with eternity, you'll realize your life was a waste. It was empty. It had no value whatsoever. If you refuse, if you're not interested in the question of who Jesus is, you're going to miss the truth, the true purpose that God has for your life. The third thing you'll be missing, Jesus said, I am the the way, the truth, and the life. You will miss the life. You will miss the life that God had in mind for you, that he designed for you. John 17, 3 says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Your life, the life that God had designed for you, was a relationship with Christ. And yes, it is a relationship with Christ as your king, but he is a king as no others. He is the king who serves his servants. He came into this world not to rule over us, but to serve us and to bring us to God. He says, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is... Sorry, I I should have written down that verse. I think my yoke is easy and my burden is light, and you will find rest for your souls. The rule he brings to us as a king is a liberating rule. It is... It gives us the abundant life that God designed for you and for me. It is a life that is full and rich through a relationship with Christ. And it comes to mind that this is not just something that unbelievers need to realize, but even as believers, I think we often miss some of the richness of the life that God has for us here because it is only the extent to which we submit to Christ as King that we live a life that is the truth, not a life that is wasted on trivialities of this world. And it is only as we submit to Christ as King deeper in our lives do we get to enjoy the life that he really meant for us to have. Who is Jesus? So these were the things that Christ offered Pilate, and as we saw, Pilate now walked out of the room saying, what is truth? and he's heading back to the religious leaders. So turn back, if you would, to Luke chapter 23, and I promise you we'll go through this very quickly. Luke chapter 23, we'll continue in verse 5. Well, actually, we'll just go back to verse 4. 
to pick up the narrative. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and to the crowd, I find no fault in this man. This was his conclusion. He, in, he uh, interrogated Jesus. He sees that what Jesus says is true. He is no threat to the Roman Empire. There's no reason of why Pilate should be signing his execution. And he tells as much to the Jews. But they were the more fierce, saying he steals up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee to this place. The Jews are not giving up. Oh, I should say the Jews. I'm a Jew myself, for anyone who doesn't know. But the Jewish leaders, the ones who felt that Jesus was such a threat that he needed to be put to death, were very adamant and persisted. No, he needs to be put to death. And they kind of repeat the accusation against him as if Pilate didn't hear them the first time. But Pilate hears something they said, the fact that he started in Galilee and only then brought the teaching to Judea. And he says, aha. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked if the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. This is called passing the buck. Not my responsibility anymore. Thank you very much. And uh, he sends him to Herod. Uh, this is, by the way, not a right thing to do. If he knows that Jesus is innocent, he is responsible to release Jesus. He needs to save Jesus from these people who are trying to get him killed, not send him to Herod. So what Pilate is doing is not a good thing. He's just trying to avoid responsibility himself. Now, when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad. For he had desired for a long time to see him, because he had heard many things about him, and he hoped to see some miracle done by him. Then he questioned him with many words, but he answered him nothing. And the chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused him. Then Herod, with his men of war, treated him with contempt and mocked him, arrayed him with a gorgeous robe, and sent him back to Pilate. That very day, Pilate and Herod became friends with each other, for before that, they had been at enmity with each other. So the effort fails uh, because Herod does his questioning and sends him back to Pilate. Uh, just a little bit about Herod. Herod uh, says here that he is happy to see Jesus, but the reason for it is he wants to see a miracle. Herod uh, was a seeker of entertainment and had some sort of taste for different things, and he thought it would be wonderful to see a miracle. And so he's probably asking Jesus the kind of questions that he hopes will make Jesus do a miracle, like, can you turn this water into wine, or can you do this? He's looking for a miracle. And Jesus is not interested in being a king's jester or an entertainer. He came here to save Herod's soul, as well as the souls as everybody else. He wasn't going to play Herod's game. He also wasn't going to do what he told his disciples not to do, which is to cast pearls before swine. Anything he was going to give Pilate, Pilate was going to trample. He wasn't going to do anything good with. At the end, you'd have a, a Pilate that has more responsibility before God than Pilate, sorry, a Herod already, who has more responsibility before God than Herod already has. Herod would just have more and more things to answer for without any benefit to Herod himself. And so Pilate, sorry, Jesus is saying nothing uh, back. Okay, so Jesus has ended up back at Pilate. Uh, and uh, Pilate makes another effort to free Jesus here. This time, 
he is uh, a lot more thorough, starting in verse 13. Then Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people. So he's including more people now. Maybe he's hoping that he'll find somebody that's in favor of Jesus instead of these people who seem to be so strongly set against Jesus. And he said to them, You have brought this man to me as one who misleads the people. And indeed, having examined him in your presence, I have found no fault in this man concerning those things which you, of which you accuse him. No, neither did Herod, for I sent you back to him, and indeed nothing worthy of death has been done by him. I will therefore chastise him and release him, for it was necessary for him to release one to them at the feast. So, so he does a number of things. First, you know, in a very respectful way as a judge, you know, he's really trying to treat them well and explain why he feels Jesus has done nothing wrong and he's going to let Jesus off. And in case that's not enough, I'll also scourge him for you. And scourging meant, you know, whipping with a whip that had little bones or pieces of nails or stones on it so that when you whipped somebody, it would literally rip the flesh or the skin off the flesh. And he's saying, I'll do that for you, to Jesus. I'll do that to Jesus. Make you feel a little bit better about the whole thing. Um, and then he says, I'll re and in his releasing him, he says he'll be fulfilling this traditional uh, act of benevolence that Rome would show Israel on the Passover. We respect your religion so much, and so we release somebody to you on the Passover. I mean, he's trying to pad it in every possible way to get Jesus off his responsibility not to have to sign the death warrant for Jesus. Again, not out of true concern for Jesus, just out of concern for his own conscience. As, as brutal of a man as Pilate may have been, he didn't like the idea of having another person, an innocent man, with his signature behind his crucifixion. He didn't want that. So he's trying to get rid of that, uh, trying to get Jesus to be released. <clears throat> and they all cried out at once, saying, Away with this man, and release to us Barabbas, who had been thrown into prison for a certain insurrection made in the city and for murder. So Pilate again fails. Um, it seems that the religious leaders have come prepared somehow, and they've prepared the people who came with them to ask for Barabbas, who, as it says here, was not a very nice man, just to make sure that Jesus is not released uh, to them. Pilate again, uh, verse 20, Pilate therefore wishing to release Jesus again called out to them. But they shouted, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And he said to them, The third time, why? What evil has he done? I have found no cause for death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. But they were insistent, demanding with, a loud, with loud voices that he be crucified. And the voices of this man and of the chief priests prevailed. So Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they requested. And he released to them the one they requested, who for insurrection and murder had been thrown into prison, but delivered Jesus to their will. There's something very strange going on here. Pilate is the most powerful man in the land. He had Roman legions at his disposal, 
and yet he doesn't seem to be able to handle this case. He's trying to get Jesus to be released, and he just can't. Why? Why can't he? Uh, turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 8. Well, this will be our closing passage. John chapter 8, and we'll start at verse 31. And as we look at this passage, look for the answer. Why is it that Pilate, the most powerful man in the land, cannot let Jesus go? Verse 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Pilate wanted political success. He wanted power. And uh, he thought that he was perhaps the master of his desires. But what we're finding out here, it is the other way around. He is a slave to his desire for political success. If he lets Jesus go, that would be less than a political savvy move. It, it's hard to say whether for sure there will be consequences against Pilate, but he will be aggravating the most powerful people in the land. Yes, there are people under him, but still there will be some political repercussions. He'll have a harder time dealing with the religious leaders of Israel from now on if he doesn't do what they so desperately want him to do. Uh, it is even possible that a letter will reach Rome saying he freed a man who claimed to be a king, and he may even have to answer to his superior. And even though he recognizes that it would be an unjust thing to crucify Jesus, and he seems to be desperately trying to avoid doing it, at the very end, his desire for political success masters over him. And that's what Jesus says in this passage. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who commits sin is a slave to sin. You think that you have the power. You think you're doing your things that you know Jesus doesn't want you to do because you want to do them. What Jesus is telling you here, no, you are a slave to these things. It is these things that have you in bondage and from which I have come to free you. And that's what he tells here to the Jews. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. If this is the truth about you and your life, and I don't know you, you know yourself, I don't know <clears throat> where you are on this, but if you recognize that this is true about you, there is something in your life that you're doing that Jesus does not want you to do, and you've come to realize that it's not that you're doing it just because you want to, but it is this thing that has power over you instead. Jesus offers to free you from it. Bowing to him as king means that he now has the power to transfer you from being under the power of darkness and into the kingdom of the Son 
of his love. Why don't you do that today? Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, your goodness to us. Thank you for the Lord Jesus who throughout this entire trial had not one thought for himself, but all thoughts bent upon those who wanted to kill him, him wanting to give them life. We thank you that he came and died not just for them, but for each and every one of us. Lord, if there's someone in this audience who has come to realize that they, like Pilate, in their denial and rejection of the truth, have left themselves uh, in bondage to sin and are missing out on the way to heaven and the truth and the life that you've come to give them. Lord, we pray that they might bow the knee to Jesus and receive from him the deliverance he's come to give them. For we ask it in his name. Amen.